Welcome to Tales for Our Times. I am your host, Dougie Mackay, professional storyteller based here in the mystical heartlands of Scotland. In this podcast, we will explore the role of folk culture, myths, legends and storytelling in the creation of a better world. As well as sharing my favourite tales for telling, I'll be interviewing some of the finest storytellers, changemakers, rebels and poets, inspiring people bringing their creative gifts to respond to the complexities and turbulence of these times. How can storytelling support the great turning as we shift from a culture focused only on growth and consumption to one that is regenerative, creative and supportive of life on this planet? Grab yourselves a broom, throw another peat on the imaginal hearth fire and watch the flames dance as we dream a better world into being. All of it starting once upon a time. Welcome to today's episode and thanks for tuning in. I'm recording on a very bright, sunny April day here in the south of Scotland. I can see the the River Tweed from the window of my recording room and it's really beautiful in the sun. And at this time of year, Scotland is a beautiful place to be. The days are stretching, the days are potentially bright and we still have that mix where This morning there was frost on the ground. It's still cold. It's not quite time to shed your thermals, but we do have this, these beautiful blue skies. And today I've noticed the swallows or the swifts are back. So that's a good sign of summer, seeing those birds dancing in the sky. And to celebrate the advent of summer, I've got maybe a slightly random tale today but it's one that came to mind over the last week. It's a story that I've been telling for many years, actually. It's one that I found very early on my storytelling journey. And it's one that came up in conversation this week because we got talking about an author. And I might not name him yet or name the book yet, But we talked about an author and a book that was, I don't know, I think it's touched the lives of many people. And it's quite a simple book, quite a simple novel. But I remembered listening to this book on audiobook when I was about 16, 17. And I would often listen to it at nighttime and it would send me off to sleep. And I'd totally forgotten about that phase in my life. So first of all, I became aware that possibly this audiobook sowed the seeds of oral storytelling for me and its power and possibility. And also it's one of these stories that does show up as a novel. It does show up as a folktale from England. I've heard it told as a folktale from the Mediterranean too, by an Italian storytelling friend. So this story also kind of demonstrates that that ability of stories and folktales to move, to travel, and to take up residence in different parts of the world and change slightly. They evolve. 
they transform. They take up residence in different places and maybe take on different characters, but the essence of the story stays the same. And this is something that kind of delights we storytellers when we find another version of a story we know. To find a Scottish version of a Grimm's fairy tale, or to find a Chinese version of a Scottish tale, or vice versa. So, without too much further introduction, I'm going to share this story. I heard it originally in on an audio CD back in the day when CDs were still a thing, and it was part. It was a story in in a book called, I think it was called Wisdom Tales, but it was part of the Barefoot Books publishing series. And I often recommend Barefoot Books as a really good starter point for beginner storytellers. I've picked up loads of really tellable, quality, refined, but also simple folk tales, myths and legends from the Barefoot Books series. And this one in particular came from the Wisdom Tales selection. And it's told, the reason I like that Wisdom Tales selection is it's actually been written and the CD is spoken by a storyteller, an oral storyteller, a really respected storyteller called Hugh Lupton, who was part of the as far as I understand it, part of a group called the Company of Storytellers who were really pivotal in the resurgence of storytelling in the UK back in maybe the 80s and 90s. Um, So he was really prominent on the scene, especially down in England or the wider UK scene. So I've only seen Hugh tell once. We don't really know each other personally, but he's someone who I've I've gained a certain amount of respect for and certainly enjoyed his barefoot book collection and especially enjoyed this story that I'm about to tell. And I hope you enjoy it too. A long time ago, down in the rump of England, in the county of Norfolk, there was a village called Swaffham. And in that town of Swaffham, there was a peddler, a trader, And this peddler would walk from town to town, from village to village. He would push a little cart and he would sell his wares. And all kinds of random things he would sell. Some food stuff, some ointments, some old jewellery, books even. Whatever he could get his hands on, he would try and sell. And everywhere he was followed by his little black terrier dog. So they were a common sight upon the streets. But the thing was that John Chapman was said to be better at blethering than selling. He would spend more time talking to people than actually selling his wares. And it said that he had a soft heart and he couldn't help but give people who needed it items at a discount price, sometimes even giving away things for free. And so he didn't make very much money, and some people for this thought he was a fool. His house had fallen into disrepair, and he couldn't afford to fix it up. The slates had fallen off the roof, some of the windows had broken. So when the rains fell, they would drip, drip, 
drip through the slates and between the rafters forming puddles on the floor. In the springtime, the birds would come and nest up in his rafters. The swallows and the swifts, they would come and make their nests there and through the early summer he would hear the happy chirping and cheeping of those young hungry chicks. They made quite a mess of his floor too. So he didn't have very much money and some people considered him unlucky, but he did have one bit of luck indeed. For there just outside his house in the garden was an old russet apple tree. And this russet apple tree gave the best, the juiciest, the crispest apples in all of the town of Swaffham. And so every autumn it was a delight. He would gather in the apples. He would press them into apple juice. He would make cider. He would make apple cider vinegar. He would make apple pie, apple crumble, apple pudding. And he didn't mind when he saw the local kids scamper up into the trees and scrump some apples for themselves, run away laughing, biting into the crisp russet apples. So autumn was a fine scene at the peddler's house, beside this old russet apple tree. Well, one night, he was sleeping in his bed. He was fast asleep when he heard a voice as clear as moonlight. Go to London Bridge, go to London Bridge. And he awoke up with a start. He looked round the room. Who had intruded in his house? But there was no one there. Only his little dog sleeping softly on the bed. Ah, it was only a dream, he thought. And he went back to sleep. But the next night, he had the same dream. Go to London Bridge, go to London Bridge. He awoke with a start, no one there. Moonlight bathing his room. It was a dream again. And night after night after night, he had the same dream, the same voice, go to London Bridge, go to London Bridge. And he thought dreams are funny things. And sometimes it pays to listen to them. And so he packed up a knapsack, some bread, some cheese, a biscuit for the dog, and off he went. With his little dog, he stamped, he tramped all the way to the city of London. Days it took him down the highways and the byways, through the narrow hedge-road lanes. He would sleep under hedges, under bridges. And after many days, he made his way to the hustling, bustling city of London. Now, he had never seen such a commotion. Huge buildings, people of every colour and creed, all kinds of dialects that he couldn't understand. But eventually he managed to make his way to the London Bridge. And in those days, London Bridge had shops down either side of it, and he sat on the step of one of those shops and waited. And he waited and he waited, for he realised that the dream had not told him what to do when he got to London Bridge. He waited all day, and eventually the sun began to set in the west. The sky glowed purple and gold, And it was a cold night. He made his way down onto the embankment. He huddled under the bridge with his little blanket and his little dog shivering all through that bitterly cold night. He awoke to a grey morning and miserably he came up and he sat on the steps of one of those shops on the edge of London Bridge. And he waited 
and he waited. And he thought, dreams are funny things. Sometimes it pays to listen to them, and sometimes it doesn't. And he stood up, he called his dog to heal, he was about to walk all the way back to Swaffham, when a shopkeeper burst out and said, hey stranger, what are you doing here? He said, all day yesterday I've watched you. All day today you've been sitting here like a lost soul. You've been sitting here absolutely miserable, but yet you carry on sitting. What brings you here? Why are you loitering outside my shop? And John Chapman told him this story, told him this story about the dream, the voice that had told him to come to London Bridge. And when the shopkeeper heard this story, he threw his head back and laughed. He said, you're telling me you've crossed half of England following a dream. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. He said, stranger, let me tell you something about dreams. I was snoring away in my bed last night. And I had this strange dream. I was in some weird little town called Swaffham or something. And in that dream, there was a house a tumble-down house where the slates had fallen off the roof where there were birds nesting in the rafters. And outside that house in my dream there was an apple tree, an old russet apple tree. And the dream was very strange. I found myself digging near the roots of that old apple tree and what did I find? But a pot filled with gold, filled with treasure, filled with jewels. But do you think I'm going to cross half of England looking for dream gold. Don't be ridiculous. Stranger, let me tell you something about dreams. But by this point, the stranger was gone. John Chapman and his little dog ran off London Bridge. They carried on running, weaving and ducking and darting all the way through the streets and alleys of London town. And they carried on running down the highways and the byways, down the narrow hedgerow lanes all the way back to Swaffham. They barely stopped to take breath. And when they got back, they didn't waste any time. They went, they took a spade, they dug around the old russet apple tree until the spade hit something hard. They pulled out an old clay pot with strange markings on the side. And inside that pot indeed were gold coins, precious stones, jewellery. They were rich. So they were able to do up the house after all, to have as fine a house as any other in the town of Swaffham. And actually, they had more money than they needed. What were they going to do with all this gold, with all these jewels? And it said they gave what they didn't need to the poor house, to the orphanage, to the needy. And as we might expect... John Chapman and his dog lived long and happy lives. And it said that at the end of their long and happy lives, to commemorate their kindness that they'd showed amongst the village, amongst the community, they made a statue, a bronze statue of John Chapman and his dog in the corner of the market square. And engraved at the bottom of that statue were these words, Always follow your dreams, for even dreams can turn to gold. So that was The Peddler of Swaffham. I hope you enjoyed it. It's, it's been a really popular one for me over the years. 
often with, yeah, maybe like slightly older children. And it's a really nice one to finish with. Sometimes I'll do like a series of stories and having that as the last one always just lets us finish on a kind of hopeful, positive note. And being a story that I've told for quite a long time, I haven't done very much with it. It's one of these ones that um, probably the way I tell it is a little bit similar to the way I found it in the Barefoot Books, Hugh Lupton's version. So I hope I hope Hugh doesn't mind that my version's still similar to his, but definitely go and check his out. Check out his other work, check out Barefoot Books, and I'm sure you'll find lots of storytelling gold with him and with that publishing house. And I have to admit, I've never been to Swaffham. So if you have been to Swaffham and you can enlighten me about it, maybe if there is a statue, if there isn't, you could you could let me know. And I'm sure some of you will have recognised the, the novel I was referring to. It's it's very similar to the, the main thread of Paolo Coelho's The Alchemist, which, yeah, was a really striking story for me at whatever it was, 16, 17. So maybe you'd also like the audiobook too. I'm sure it's still out there. And I would be really curious in response to this story if maybe you've heard some other versions of this story that you'd like to recommend, feel free to make a comment, send us a message. It would be great to track down some different versions. As I say, I heard a great version from my friend Lorenzo. He's got a Mediterranean version that, if I remember, had a wizard at some point. That's all I remember. But I will get Lorenzo on this show at some point, so maybe we can ask him then. And I guess the question the story throws up is, what is the treasure that we may find at home after travel? What was in our backyard buried under the apple tree all along? And again, I would really welcome your messages and comments about the treasure that you find found at home and that you maybe only appreciated after travelling. And I was thinking about this last night as I decided to record this episode and two really specific examples popped up from my own life. Times where I've gone away and realised, wow, there's something about home that I really loved that I didn't realise, that I never would have guessed. (laughs) And the first came when I went on a youth exchange. So I was 18 I had lived in Inverness in the north of Scotland all my life. And I went on a youth exchange and went to Nigeria in West Africa. And we were there for three months. And it was an amazing experience. It was really formative, really opened my eyes to the world being a much more diverse and varied and incredible place than I ever could have imagined growing up in Inverness. It really blew my mind, to be honest. And there were lots of treasures over there. Um, Learning about rhythm, seeing bands that were composed entirely of drummers. There was a very expressive culture over there. Lots of bright colours and lots of... (laughs) 
yeah, it was very vibrant. And that was really inspiring. But I realised what I missed that I never would have guessed. There were two things. One was the sense of humour I was used to. And I realised jokes don't always translate well. (laughs) And I really missed the familiar humour of my friends back home. And secondly, maybe more surprisingly, I missed the Scottish rain. (laughs) And you don't often hear people say that. But I was out in Nigeria in the dry season. And I really yearned for rain. And I think when you're in that sort of climate, most people do because it gets dry, it gets dusty. The air becomes thick with dust. And I recognised the the rain in Scotland is really refreshing. And the, the crisp, clear air quality we have here is really something special. And you don't get much more fundamental than breathing. So I missed the quality of Scottish air and the freshness of the rain. So that was one treasure I discovered at home that I, usually when it's raining back here, I don't appreciate it. I don't see it as treasure. But in a country, in a part of the world where it didn't rain for six weeks, I really recognised the preciousness of the rain. And secondly, final treasure that I discovered was when I was in Massachusetts, when I was out in the woods in New England, USA. And we did this, I was helping out with a kind of like wilderness camp for teenagers. And again, it was incredible. It was life-changing, learnt from these real masters at outdoor living, at outdoor facilitation. There, and it was really wild, you know, deep forests, wolves in the background and coyotes and porcupines snuffling about, <laughs> climbing apple trees. We would hear them crunching on apples as we were having our evening meetings. We would have these wild games through the night with the kids that were really exciting. We'd go off kind of sneaking and scouting about in the woods, camped in rat- rattlesnake gutter. It was really epic. But what I recognised I I missed, or what I appreciated when I came back, was the Scottish sky. And again, really random. In these deep forests in New England. Great, you know, great. I really yearned for more forest in Scotland. But I recognised in the woods all the time, I didn't see the sky. I didn't get those wide open vistas that I'm used to in Scotland. And... Also, it would be sunny. Then we would have these thunderstorms every day at like five o'clock and it would pour with rain for an hour. And it was it was pretty magical in its own way. But I realised I missed the diversity of the Scottish sky. And I came back and I was in awe. I was just looking up all the time and you'd see a little patch of cloud here and a ray of light illuminating the hill. And you'd see different colours, different patterns of clouds. And I'd look up and I'd see maybe like 10 different things happening in the Scottish sky at any one time. And it's always changing. And again, referring back to the treasure from story one, you need to pay attention to the sky because if you don't, you could end up getting wet. You could end up in the middle of a storm and unprepared for it. But there's also a beauty to it. Uh, a majesty to it. And that combination of sky and Scottish landscape 
is a treasure that I've really grown to appreciate. And I think many people that visit Scotland, they feel that too. So those are my treasures. I would love to hear some of the treasures you've found in your own backyard, in your own home, maybe things you've discovered after traveling, and maybe you could share some treasures you found whilst traveling too. But I think it's it's nice to take time to appreciate the, the things that we can oft- often overlook at home. And that's what this story reminds me of. And that brings us more or less to the end of today's show. And thank you again for listening in. If you feel to leave a review, a good review, hopefully, (laughs) if you feel to leave a review, a comment, a share, maybe you want to share it with a friend, that would be really appreciated. It will help us to develop and grow and inspire me to share more stories and invite more guests to come and join me on the podcast. Thanks for listening in. May you find many treasures in your backyard and may this story inspire us in a small way to follow our dreams, whatever they may be.